This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I am your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle, joined once again by my co-host, uh, Dan Murphy, fellow senior writer. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well, doing well. I'm glad to be back for another podcast. Yes, it's this. been so long I almost forgot your name. I know, yeah, you, you stumbled <laughs> a little bit there. Who is this guy? Dan, that's right. Uh, anyway, we yeah, are I back and uh, lots to talk about. Uh, SummerSlam weekend just passed and certainly a lot of news coming out of SummerSlam. We'll be going over some of that uh, in a bit. We may actually also be talking some Conor McGregor, uh, Floyd Mayweather. It's the biggest event in combat sports and, and we'd be remiss if we didn't touch upon it and maybe talk about uh, what, if anything, can be learned by the pro wrestling industry in in the hype leading up to this fight. So we'll talk a bit uh, about that. And at the end of the show, uh, got an interview returning to the podcast for the second time uh, Chavo Guerrero. When we had him on last time, we were kind of talking about him. Uh, we were talking about his role as kind of a, a producer in Lucha Underground, and now he's got another uh, a TV role in this kind of budding behind-the-scenes uh, Hollywood role. And he was actually the technical advisor on the new Netflix series Glow. Um, the, not quite a remake, but but kind of an homage to the original '80s uh, wrestling series. And uh, we talk a bit about his experience working with the women uh, in, in GLOW, mostly inexperienced women. We're talking, you know, actors uh, and some family history, actually, with GLOW. I didn't know this, Dan, but did you know that his uncle, Mondo, was yep, a technical yep. advisor to the original uh, GLOW? Mondo was for the first season of GLOW, and he, uh, Lisa Moretti, Ivory, loved him uh, because he didn't, take anything lightly some of the girls were she had told me the story and she said it a lot that you know they were kind of kind of goofing off because they were actresses they were looking this is this gig this kind of spoof pro wrestling and he bumped them hard he, he stretched them out a little bit and not to be you know mean or anything but to teach them you know when you're in the ring you, you take it seriously because it's disrespectful not just to him but to your opponents and everyone else in the ring if you don't because yeah. that's how injuries happen and uh, they really instilled that. He only stuck around, I believe, for the first season. And uh, you mentioned Chavo being involved with the Netflix series. I got to talk to the stunt coordinator, the woman who uh, oversaw all of the stunts, who worked with Chavo. And, man, she, she really praised him up and down for the work he did with these women, all of whom, other than um, Awesome Kong, were, were you know actresses and mm-hmm. completely unfamiliar with what they were doing. And uh, he really pulled it together, and, and I think he, he had some great sequences that you saw on Netflix. Yeah, and, and I won't scoop my own interview, but one of the things we talked about that was really interesting and talk about kind of an, an added layer of complexity to his job was not only was he there to kind of train these women to wrestle, but he had to train them in such a way that they didn't look all that good, right? Because right. Um, the idea is that they they're just learning how to wrestle, you know, so, and kind of a third level, look, teach them while making sure they look green, while also making sure they are safe, right? So, uh, really, really and interesting. They also, and they also made a concerted effort, maybe Chavo going to it, I know you, you spoke to him, I, I didn't, so I'll be hearing it for the first time along with all of our listeners here, 
but I know that um, they wanted to update those moves a little bit because back in the 80s when right. Glow yes. first aired, there were still, you know, a body slam could still be a, a finisher, you know, with some of the guys. And they wanted to update it with, you know, they show in Netflix uh, Christopher Daniels doing the best moves installed ever and some other things. So they kind of brought in more recent moves to make it a little bit more exciting, but had to kind of measure that out again, because like you said, the women, the characters were just learning how to wrestle. So it seems like it's a pretty neat balance that they, they tried to walk with that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, and yes, you'll you'll listen to it here uh, in just a few minutes. Another thing I talked with Chavo about was the PWI 500, and he had some some fun, amusing uh, anecdotes about his memories of being on the PWI 500. And uh, before you know it, I think by the next time we're recording this podcast, we're going to be talking about the 2017 PWI uh, 500, which is our next issue. And if you want to make sure you don't miss it, the thing to do is go to pwi-online.com. Subscribe now either to the print or digital edition. Uh, you could be among the first to have it. Find out who tops this year's list, the top 10 and, and all 500. Uh, all the bios, uh, I usually do a lot more than I, I did this year. I was a little swamped in my day job and couldn't contribute as much as I usually do. I know, Dan, you had, I'm sure, another miserable uh, several weeks in the summer putting um, this year's uh, list together. Um, again, spoiler free, what can you uh, say about this year's uh, 500? Uh, how does it measure up to past years? Well, uh, first and foremost, uh, Rusev is number one. <laughs> uh, no, I said spoiler uh, <laughs> free. We have to edit that part out. Damn it! We'll let's we'll <laughs> edit that. Take that right out of there. Um, no, this year. Uh, you know what's what's more interesting this year? I, I think is the uh, not just the rise of the independents, uh, but the rise of WWE and international with the the British tournament, the Cruiserweight Classic from last year. There's a lot more really talented wrestlers who are, are kind of getting that national attention. And it's, it's crowding out a lot of the regional people that you've seen in the past. Um, the focus this year really, I mean, there's still a, a lot of representation from Japan. Japan is known for its pro wrestling scene from the independence all the way up to New Japan and All Japan and NOAA and DDT and so on. Uh, but there was a lot more out of the U.K., uh, this year. And the, the British uh, tournament, the UK tournament, the WWE had a lot to do with that, but also really the, the buzz of progress as a promotion has gotten over the past few years has, has really gotten these guys on the map. Um, so you see a lot more diversity, a lot more international talent. And the other thing is, I, I really want to do this one day, but figuring out all of the, the, the numbers is a little daunting. I want to do a, uh, uh, here is the average wrestler on the PWI 500. Take all 500, take all their heights, their weights, and their years experience, and this is your average guy that's on the 500. That's you know, your average PWI 500 is a 5'11", 190-pound guy who's got nine years experience. Yeah. Uh, something along those lines. Because yeah, that's really interesting. It'd be maybe even more interesting if you did it for different parts. You know, the, the, the number one, who is the average number one uh, Russell. Right. And, and what you'll find, or I find in, in writing a lot, because I write a lot of the bios on the second half of the 500, is guys that are in the 430s, 440s, 450s, that you might think, oh, they're, they're the tail end of the 500. They're probably four or five years into the business. No. Some are 20 years in. Some have, have had mm -hmm. this incredible career. It's just that, I mean, that's the nature of the game. There's a lot of people and a lot of changeover. And 
And uh, it's really kind of interesting that a, a guy who's talented, who's got two or three years experience, who you would think would crack the 500 in previous years, um, you know, he, he's got a, a, a lot more guys ahead of him uh, this year. Yeah, there, there's so many different facets to the 500 that it really is, um, you know, by the time the next year's 500 comes out, I'm not fully finished sort of going through the last year's. Uh, because there's so much to to look at and to digest. Um, and one of the things in, in putting um, my profiles together, I did the top 10 this year. Uh, one of the fun things is, uh, it's a lot of work, but it's also fun. We do the uh, the path to whatever, path to number one, path to number two. And in some cases, as you mentioned, it's veteran guys who've been around for a long, long time. Uh, and tracking their progress. What's the first year that this guy ranked anywhere? And what was that? And um, it, it's fun to see over a, a course of a career, first time a guy pops up is in the, the mid-400s. A, a year later, maybe he jumps into the 200s. A, a year later, he might take a real big jump and be around you know the, the 50 range or something like that. Uh, then he might drop back down again, and you see that the gradual... Uh, progression and all the kind of hills and valleys of a wrestler's career uh, and it's a lot of fun and it takes them to wherever they were uh, this year maybe that's a little bit better than last year a little bit worse than last year uh, but but just a blast I think this year's is going to be very newsworthy um, both for for where some guys are ranked and both for uh, where some guys are, are not ranked I think there's some history happening a few different ways um, with this year's issue, and uh, yeah, really, really excited about it. Looking forward to breaking some news next time uh, we record here. Before that, there's a whole issue, uh, a whole other issue of PWI uh, to to check out. It is our October issue. It's got Brock Lesnar on the cover, WWE Six Million Dollar Man, who was successful once again um, at SummerSlam this past weekend, earning that $6 million in a really fantastic match that we'll talk about uh, in, in a little bit. And uh, it's a look at some of WWE's uh, top salary earners. And there's a lot more in this issue. Uh, as I've said, because it's kind of in between some of these these big projects that we do, uh, there was more room for some more features and uh, coverage of, of certain wrestlers and certain companies that maybe don't get as much coverage uh, the rest of the year. So um, check it out. There's still the pick a time to pick up this issue before the 500 um, comes out. Uh, and what you want to do is go to pwi-online.com, either the print edition or the digital edition. Uh, the new PWI app makes it customized for your mobile device. It looks fantastic there. Uh, the longer you subscribe, the deeper the discount. You can get more than half off the cover price. Uh, so once again, what you want to do is go to pwi-online.com. Um, and while you're there, you can uh, listen to the podcast. Also go to iTunes, subscribe to the, the podcast, um, listen to past episodes. Uh, drop us an email here, pwipodcast at outlook.com. Follow us on Twitter at official PWI. Always have fun uh, live tweeting pay-per-views. I was doing that uh, on Sunday. Uh, and what else? Find us on Facebook. Uh, all right, let's talk some SummerSlam. Uh, Dan, they were back in New York, my area, for the third year. I was not able to go to SummerSlam. I did go to NXT on Saturday night. And uh, right. like the first time they were around, it was, I think, the best show of the weekend. Uh, and I was at SmackDown last night, also another fantastic show. So I think I got the, the two best shows of the weekend. Uh, as for SummerSlam itself, I got to say, I didn't love it. 
you know, as I mentioned, I thought the main event was great. And I hear a lot of people giving the show a thumbs up because the main event uh, was so strong. To me, when you're talking a six-hour show with whatever it was, 12, 13 matches, and it wasn't the only good match um, on the show, but honestly, including the main event, there wasn't a great match on the show. The, the main event was very good. The tag team title match with um, Ambrose and Rollins was also very good. There were a couple other matches that were okay to good as well. But again, six hours long, uh it needs to be more than that. And there are some matches along the way that uh, should have been better than they were and were disappointments. Uh, so I think the matches that should have been bad, not should have been bad, but but were expected to be bad were extra bad. Big Cass and Big Show comes to mind. I mean, I think that was one of the worst matches of the year. Um, I think some of the matches that should have been pretty good were let down Nakamura and Jinder Mahal. I had higher hopes for right. John Cena and Baron Corbin. I had higher hopes for, uh, I don't know if I had higher hopes for Bray Wyatt and, and Finn Balor. I just, I, I'm not a big fan of Bray Wyatt's work. Uh, but even that maybe it was at expectations, maybe a little lower than expectations. Uh, so there are some matches that, you know, there was hope that they'd be better than that. And I think there are a few others like that too. The women's matches were okay, but didn't, you know, set the world on fire. Uh, so, you know, yes, I really like the main event. Uh, no, I don't think it was enough to save the show. What did you think? Well, before I get into SummerSlam completely, in your opinion, what do you think the best one or two matches of the weekend were uh, between NXT, SummerSlam, Raw, and SmackDown? Um, for that entire block of time, which match or two do you think stood out above the rest? Uh, I really liked um, Johnny Gargano and Andrade Sin Almas, which was the, the opener to take over. Um, I was just popping like crazy from, from my nosebleed seats for that match. I thought I thought it was such great action. Um, I thought Aleister Black and Hideo Tommy was really good. I thought Ember Moon and Asuka was really good. Um, and, yeah, absolutely, I put the main event of SummerSlam in there. Uh, it, it was just a blast. And, you know, it wasn't even the whole match, but the stuff with Braun Strowman and Brock Lesnar was just such a hoot um, and so much fun that it it, it carried the whole match. Uh, so that's probably in my mix. Yeah, yeah it, it, that makes sense. And I was just kind of curious because, for me, SummerSlam – SummerSlam is not what it was. I mean, nothing in wrestling is what it was. It's always changing. It's always becoming something new. Um, you had WrestleMania as your number one show of the year. SummerSlam was kind of number two with Survivor Series and then Royal Rumble as WWE, WWF's Big Four. And SummerSlam, what I remember, what my fondest memories of SummerSlam, you know, it's the end of summer spectacular. It's like, you know, it's a big wrestling show before you go back to school. It's, it's whatever. And all of the matches had this build-up from WrestleMania on. It, it had this kind of big show feel. And now you look at it, n number one, a couple days before WrestleMania or before SummerSlam, I found myself wondering, um, what's, the, what's the card again? And yeah. I had trouble remembering what matches. I, I could remember the NXT matches, but, but not the SummerSlam matches. And nothing really felt that important to me, um, it, which, which is really new. And I, Maybe it's a gradual change. It's been happening for a little while, but you take SummerSlam that used to be this really important, can't-miss, must-see end-of-summer event, and then stretch it out instead of just over one night of three hours or four hours. It's four nights of 17 hours, maybe? Oof, yeah. um, 
Yeah, it, it, it's just a lot. And there were some moments to it. There, there was something, but, and I know we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but just in, in terms of kind of a segue, um, you look at Floyd Mayweather and, and Conor McGregor, which may be a terrible fight. It, it could be, you know, the dog's breakfast. It could be awful. But the hype made it seem like it's something worthwhile and that's something you need to see. And this had a bunch of good matches, some very good matches, some mediocre matches, but it was so little hype and so over-promoted, over over delivering, if you can say that, yeah. that it just doesn't really stand out. And uh, for me, I think that's uh, this weekend, as big as it was for WWE and, and as big as it was for the WWE Universe, it was just another weekend and it, it didn't really mean, it didn't really resonate with me as, yeah. as a viewer or a fan. I, I think it's symptomatic of, of something bigger going on in WWE. And I think I, I spoke with it with uh, Brady last time on the podcast. And it's just. Uh, this this philosophy from WWE that that seems to be less about the actual card and building towards big matches and then paying off those big matches, and it's now just all about branding and spectacle and and that kind of thing. <clears throat> and and as much as I like the main event of SummerSlam this year, um, I mean to to your point, it it wasn't a match that was months in the making or was the dream match. It was a four-way match. We just had a five-way right. match, basically the same match, at a throwaway pay-per-view uh, a, a few weeks ago with the one that, that led to Joe fighting um, a Lesnar. We've had that same match, uh, three of the four guys, on Raw in recent weeks in a triple threat match. So this was no kind of like dream match. Oh, I can't believe we're finally getting getting to see this guy versus this guy. It was just, you know, it's August, we need to put, you know, a, a main event together. And and even less the case, I think, uh, with Nakamura and Tinder Mahal. And, and the irony of that one was that they uh, uh, booked John Cena and Shinsuke Nakamura with one week's build uh, in a match right. to help decide the opponent for uh, Jinder Mahal, of all people, at, at SummerSlam. It's it just so backwards, and yeah, I, it just seems like WWE has, uh, and I, I think it's just a real bankrupt philosophy, but they seem to uh, really kind of be throwing away these old tenets of wrestling and building to dream matches, and they just think, ah, you know, none of it all really matters. It, it's the brand. And, uh, you know, seeing the build, uh, presumably the John Cena and Roman Reigns on, on Raw, I mean, are they going to do that at the September pay-per-view? Whatever it is, I don't even know what it is. Is it a Clash Champions or whatever it is? I'm uh, I don't know what's happening. But again, I mean, <laughs> it, is, is this another step? Uh, again, did, did we get a, a, a fatal four-way, a good fatal four-way, but not any kind of dream match at one of the biggest shows of the year? And then John Cena and Roman Reigns, one of the true big, big matches that they have not pulled the trigger on, do that at, at some throwaway pay-per-view. Uh, it just seems uh, really backwards. Right. And, and I think what it is, is the mentality is, and it was the change a couple of years ago when they got off the pay-per-view model and went to the WWE Network. Yeah. And a pay-per-view doesn't have to live or die by the draw of, um, you know, what the main event is or how many people are going to buy that one pay-per-view. As long as you're subscribing to the network, it doesn't really matter yeah. if you're subscribing to watch NXT or the pay-per-view or whatever other programming they have. They've got your money. And admittedly, it's a fraction of what the pay-per-views are, so it's a great, great value and certainly lots of great reasons to have the, the, um, 
the, the network. Uh, but this is a shoot brother. Um, months back, uh, I let my subscription run out and, and I didn't renew it. And uh, WWE Network, I just found myself, you know, I'm not watching it that much. I mean, mm-hmm. not nearly enough to, I mean, it's 10 bucks a month. It's not a big deal. But, you know, if you're not watching it for two or three months at a time, you know, that's what's the point. And uh, here they are constantly, every day, WWE is sending an email. Hey, get SummerSlam for free. Come back and join us and get this and get this and get this. Um, and the thing is, I think a lot of fans are doing that now. I think the fans, the hardcore fans who have the network and are watching, have the network and they're watching and they're happy. The rest are just kind of picking and choosing. And what you're really getting is WWE not making an effort to win those fans over to get their pay-per-view money, but trying to just throw more content until they find something that gets them to resubscribe. Yeah. So you get these pay-per-views that at one point were benchmarks and, and historic and and will built up in the, the ballyhoo of WWE um, with all these great matches. And now you're like, uh, Jinder Mahal against, I don't know, Nakamura, let's do that, you know, in a match that's utterly forgettable. And uh, I think that's really kind of a, a shame because the product is, is falling downhill. At the same time, that we're also seeing a higher work rate and more exciting matches on the whole than we've ever seen before. It's yeah. just that we're so conditioned to them now that they no longer seem as special as they once did. Yeah, well, I mean, there's definitely a problem with with oversaturation, right? I mean, when you talk about uh, the big four pay-per-views of years ago when I was growing up, part of the reason they were such a big deal was week to week, you were watching squash matches on, on Saturday mornings, and these were you got, when you got your, your big matches, right? I mean, it was the only time you saw credible guys against each other other than uh, maybe at a house show or something like that. But, you know, 90% of the time you were watching squash matches and then you'd get like Saturday night's main event, which was the closest thing to a, a, a pay-per-view. Um, but now, uh, yeah, you've got three and a half hours, pretty much Monday night two uh, that what it was three hours Tuesday night because there's two or five live as well. Um, and an hour of NXT Wednesday night, and, and on and on and on. So it's now just SummerSlam, six hours long. If two guys in a main event is a big deal, how about four guys in a main event? It's even better, you know, <laughs> four, you know and, and uh, just more, 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 and, and, not, and not really paying attention to things like, you know, quality of a match. I mean, that, the Nakamura Jinder Mahal match, uh, it was really kind of shameful what they did there, you know. I mean... And I was willing to accept that as uh, a main event. I think Jinder's come along. Nakamura's fantastic. Uh, even if, if Jinder retained, which I kind of expected he would, you know, give me a a, a high-quality 15 to 20-minute match, you know, but uh, all that to be done with it in whatever it was, 10 minutes, a throwaway, nothing match, I don't know. Um, let, let's talk about big picture, post-SummerSlam, where everybody is, some pieces moved around, uh, clearly the big match on the Raw side that they're building uh, toward. That was, at one point, I think, penciled in as the main event of SummerSlam. And, and when I first heard it, I, I didn't think it was much of a main event. And now it's about as hot a match as WWE has. Braun Strowman and Brock Lesnar. Uh, are you excited to see that? What do you think of, of how far uh, along Braun has come and uh, his performance on Saturday night? Sunday night. Uh, Braun... <clears throat> 
Braun's great. I mean, he's 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 got the great look. I mean, he's he's huge. He's he's massive. He's an immensely powerful guy. Um, he's greener than leprechaun poop. You know, I mean, <laughs> put it that way. He he's not he's not a great wrestler. He's just a, a big powerhouse, intimidating looking guy, and and that's fine. And, and Brock Lesnar is the kind of guy who is just so good. He, I, I hate to say it, but I, I honestly think that Brock Lesnar is underrated at, at what he does mm-hmm. um, because he has a UFC background. He has a real fight background. He's got that collegiate grappling background. And he's been a pro wrestler for 14 years now with obviously a big hiatus in there. Um, the guy's really good. I mean, with the matches he had early on in his career against Angle and The Rock and Hogan and everything he's done since, um, he's been in the ring with some of the best of all time. And, and I think we should look at him as one of the best of all time. And I think he can have a great match even against a, a Braun Strowman. But I think what you need to do is you've got this guy, uh, Brock Lesnar, who is at the tail end of his pro wrestling career. Uh, there's rumors about him going back to UFC. and, and he's well, always he, kind of had he just that. lost his opponent today, if you haven't heard. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. John Jones? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, you can always find another opponent yeah. for him. And I don't know if he wants to walk out on that, like you mentioned, the $6 million payday. But he, he wants, Brock wants to do what Brock wants to do. And um, the thing is, he beat The Undertaker. He's been pushed to the moon. He's the kind of guy, this is the golden opportunity, the kind of opportunity that hasn't come along in 10 years or more. If somebody beats Brock Lesnar one on one, clean, for the championship, it makes them a superstar. They get the rub that no one's had since The Rock pinned uh, Hulk Hogan, uh, in my opinion. That's a huge, huge moment, and you don't want to waste that on a Braun Strowman, because I don't think he's got the upside potential. You don't want to waste that moment in a multiple-man match, a four-man fatal four-way crap fest, whatever. You want to build to that one guy who can come up and challenge the champion, win the belt, and be the next guy that you build it on. Now, whether that's John Cena and, and, and just solidify his role within the company, not the move I would make, but it would make sense, or the next guy that you really want to, you know, Roman Reigns or the next Roman Reigns, I should say, somebody in NXT. Um, but I think that the time has come where they really need to kind of consider that and make that move. Uh, Braun Strowman's not the guy. He's a filler guy. It's a nice spectacle of two big guys throwing each other around. Brock will make it look good. And I think that's about all you can expect from that. I uh, agree with part of that. But I got to say, I, I'm not saying Braun Strowman is the guy, but I'm not ruling out that he's the guy. Um, one of the things, I just looked up his age while you were talking. He's 33, which by WWE standards is relatively young. So he still potentially has another 10 years ahead of him. And you look at his growth just in the last six months. I mean, six months ago, uh, I think the the kind of collective wrestling universe was sort of laughing at the notion of... Remember, at some point, they were talking about Strowman as uh, an opponent for The Undertaker at WrestleMania. And right. uh, people were like, oh, are you kidding? Braun Strowman, the guy could, you know, he has two left feet in the ring. And and now he's in discussion as one of the most popular guys in WWE. I mean, the fans are really, really eating him up and enjoying the act. And he's... Um, a, a lot of it is presentation and how um, carefully he's been protected and that kind of thing, but a lot of it is just improvement. I think he's come along uh, uh, very much in, in just some basic fundamental stuff. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying 
he is the guy to beat Brock Lesnar, but I think there's more reason to say or to conclude that Roman Reigns is not the guy, right? Uh, and I'm not saying Roman Reigns is not the guy, but in, in Roman Reigns' case, you've got a track record. You can look back on what's been three, four years of this experiment that, um, and it's not that he's not gone anywhere. I mean, Roman Reigns is, is fine. He deserves to be um, in, in the top and, and at the top mix, and a lot of what he does is really terrific, but very much a big mixed bag, right? I mean, and... If, if you put him out there and he beat uh, Brock Lesnar clean at WrestleMania next year, uh, it's a big, big gamble that you're going to get a return on, on that investment. With Braun Strowman, I don't know. He's more of kind of a blank slate, you know. Um, uh, he he doesn't have the the track record in a good way as far as having a track record of, of good performances and good matches, which Roman Reigns does have. He, he's had... Uh, several good matches against a wide range of workers, but he also doesn't have all the kind of the, the, the stench. The baggage. So, yes, right. right, the baggage. Uh, so uh, I don't know. He, you know, maybe he isn't. He's not cut from the mold. I mean, you, it, it's hard to envision him as kind of a, a poster boy for the company, and it doesn't seem like that's the right role for him anyway. But in it, theoretically, if Brock put Braun over, one of the things that Braun could be is uh, essentially another Brock Lesnar. I'm not saying that that they bring the same thing to the table exactly, but they're a similar act in that they are the indestructible monster, which is an important role that uh, for a wrestling company. And in Braun Strowman, you'd have a guy who'd be around to play that role a lot more than Brock Lesnar is. I, I think that Braun is a little bit tainted by his run with the Wyatt family. He, he's doing well. I mean, he's certainly come along, like you said, over the past six months. I just wish that they hadn't brought him in in the role that they did and presented him as basically a, a stooge for a year before deciding, oh, hey, wait, wait, now this guy's credible. Now he's going to be our next world champion. It's like, all right, he was just like a big, dumb, strong guy who got outsmarted all the time and, and, and never really accomplished yeah. anything despite all of that power and everything else. And, you know, now, like, oh, well, we got nobody else. Uh, let's gin the Mahal this guy and make him a champion. <laughs> well, so, uh, you know, I... different than gender, though, I, I think, and, and this isn't a put down of, of gender, who I think has grown into the role since being world champion. Uh, I think with Braun, you saw the progressive improvement that warranted uh, uh, this place in the cards, where with Jinder, they kind of did the other way around. Let's give him the push first, and then he'll grow into the role. Uh, well, we got a few minutes here. I, I talked about it earlier, uh, the the other real big event, and I wonder, well, I, I guess in this sense, it's good that WWE is in the paper, isn't in the pay-per-view business much uh, anymore because you got to think running a week before um, – one of the biggest fights, if not the biggest fight in combat sports history, charging $100 on pay-per-view would have really dug into SummerSlam's uh, buy rate. But uh, yes, this Saturday night, uh, talked about talked about for a long time, finally coming, Floyd Mayweather versus uh, Conor McGregor, the biggest star in boxing versus the biggest star in MMA, a real novelty. Um, you know, I think a lot of people know expect it to be kind of a train wreck. Uh, and, but, you know, one of the things that's very much the case, I think in all of combat sports, uh, but maybe even more so <clears throat> in boxing and more so in particular in, in Floyd Mayweather matches that it's, 
the the money is in the the hype and really not just the money but the entertainment value is in the hype and the match is just sort of you know it's it's the punctuation at the end so i'm not expecting a great match on saturday night uh but the hype has been a lot of fun and when you hear the the range of predictions you know mayweather pacquiao a couple years ago blew everything out of the water you know i think the the pay-per-view record was somewhere in the the two million range two and a half million i think they did four and a half million charging a hundred dollars a pop and uh there are a lot of predictions and not just predictions um some some early metrics i know dana white was talking about you know uh, pre-sales on i think digital pay-per-view that kind of thing uh is already surpassing anything they've done before so there's already measurable ways that this is uh could could break all kinds of records um what, if anything, can Vince McMahon, the pro wrestling industry as a whole, learn from uh, this whole spectacle? There's a lot to that. I, I think that, okay, the difference is, number one, this is UFC versus pro boxing. It's, it's inter-sport. It's inter-competition. Um, and, and it's a once, not to use a tagline from a WrestleMania that they used twice, but once in a lifetime. Uh, <laughs> It, it, it's this matchup that you're, you're not going to see. It's not like WWE where hey, we're building to WrestleMania, but uh, the day after WrestleMania, we have to have a new show. And the day after that, another one, right. you know, and, and so on. It's not episodic weekly television. So it's very easy to build one match uh, or one fight. Um, but the thing is, you can still do that in pro wrestling. If you make the characters bigger than life and make the characters interesting and Conor McGregor, he, Conor McGregor goes out, he's the best promo man in, in UFC or in pro wrestling right now. And he has been for, for a couple of years now at least. And Conor McGregor doesn't go out there and read what the creative mm-hmm. team has written for him. He speaks off the cuff. And whether or not it's, whether or not it's a work or a shoot or whether he believes what he's saying or anything along those lines. He knows enough, like the art of pro wrestling back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, 90s, is you say enough to sell the ticket, and, and you make people want to see the fight. And Conor McGregor's done that. Floyd Mayweather has, has done it by his, his reputation, is the best fighter in the world, pound for, for, uh, for pound at his weight class. Uh, although, I personally... I've never seen a Mayweather fight that hasn't bored the hell out of me mm-hmm. because I hate his style. He, he, he's all defensive, and it's, it's like watching the old uh, the Baltimore Ravens play or an NHL team with neutral zone trap and just nothing. Uh, so I'd love to see McGregor come out there and, and, and wipe the mat with him. And, and if this was a Antonio Inoki, Muhammad Ali-type fight where you could have some shoot fighting in there, a hybrid-style fight, then I'd love to see this. I'd love to see McGregor try to take uh, Mayweather down because Mayweather has no mat wrestling experience. He, he can only, you know, avoid punches. Um, so I'd love to see that fight. But the point is, um, I think it's going to be an incredible fight, an incredible spectacle that's going to make a lot of money for everybody involved. And I think that if WWE is smart or Global Force or anyone else in the wrestling market, Billy Corgan with the NWA for that matter, whatever, the fact is you can draw money if you make the fighters interested. If you can make the fans say, I want that guy to win. Not necessarily all the fans. Not 100% of people aren't behind McGregor. 
you know, some people are behind Mayweather. It doesn't matter who you choose. It's just that you have a stake in the fight and you want to see your guy win. And you're willing to pay the money to see your guy win or at least the other guy lose. And uh, WWE hasn't had that in a long, long time. Pro wrestling hasn't had that in a long, long time. And I, I think that you can still do that and you can still use your weekly episodic TV to build to that um, if you choose to do it. But if pay-per-view numbers and buy rates aren't your, your motivating factor, if $10 monthly subscriptions are, there's really no impetus to do it. And that's really a shame. I think that's what's really stopping wrestling from getting to that next level or even reaching the level that it used to be at in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, yeah. And and there are examples not just in uh, a boxing or MMA but in pro wrestling of, you know, again, what we were just saying, I mean, WWE being these days all about kind of building a brand and, and what's the, the theme song for this year's SummerSlam and who's the artist who's singing it and, and, and all of that. And they've moved so far away from what I think made most of us wrestling fans and makes me a fan of all combat sports, which which is, you know, this is like grade school stuff. Oh, this guy's going to fight this guy in the back. I've got to see that fight. You know, I have to see it. Uh, and they've moved so far away from that. And not only is this evidence that um, this can work uh, in boxing or MMA, you know, again, we, we see it happening, you know, Everybody wants to now see Okada Omega 4, right? Because you saw 1, 2, and 3, and they're all so different, and you, you still need that deciding match, and I've got to see that match, right? Uh, and that and WWE just, right. they, they don't do that, you know? And even when they have an opportunity for that, they kind of squander it. I mean, again, John Cena, I think it is such a, a mortal sin that they did John Cena and Nakamura with a one-week's uh, hype on SmackDown because that is the kind of thing that, that you can have fans saying, oh, my God, I've got to see that. Uh, and there's not a lot of opportunities for that. And uh, another point that you made that I very much will agree with, it, it is the the importance of... Uh, letting personalities come out, right? Uh, and that's maybe more than any curiosity of how a mixed martial artist will do against a boxer. I think what made this match so intriguing is uh, the the trash talk because Mayweather is essentially the the, the heir to to or, or McGregor is the heir to to Mayweather. The the flash, the money. Uh, you know, the, the bravado. Uh, I think McGregor's better at it. Uh, but the the only way that Mayweather became the star that he is and McGregor became the star that he is is by letting the personalities come out. And and sometimes, you know, for as much uh, credit as McGregor gets for being the greatest trash talker in the business, and I think he is, he strikes out sometimes. You know, there was um, that world tour they did at the beginning of the hype for this fight where they hit whatever it was, three or four cities in four days, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. And some of those were not that great. I remember the first stop, I think, was L.A., and it was a little flat. Uh, and then they got to Toronto, and McGregor just hit it out of the park, right? Uh, and just the timing was right on. The insults were right on. He's making fun of him walking around with uh, a backpack, and he says, he's carrying a backpack. He doesn't even know how to read. And it was just fantastic. The so place good. Exploded. So good, yeah. Yeah, and... That is old school pro wrestling, right? Because uh, when you think about those great promos, sometimes 
there for for every time a wrestler hits it out of the park, there were a bunch of times where he struck out or it was a single or it was a double. Uh, but the only way that you you get those memorable moments is by let is trial and error, right? And and you let a guy get comfortable, get comfortable, and you know he stumbles on that great promo. Austin three sixteen just says I kick, whipped your ass. Um, and now, here's the thing with that too is is just this morning. This morning I woke up and and I'm a strange person. I'll admit this. The very first thought I had this morning as I got up, I'm about to get in the shower and get ready for my day at work. I, I just felt compelled. I want to go on YouTube and see if I can find the Gary promo from World Class Championship Wrestling when Al Perez won the Texas title and talking about how Gary Hart had Gary Hart Enterprises had hired a, a new secretary whose only job it was was to call Kevin Von Erich every 15 minutes and remind him that Al Perez was the new World Class Wrestling <laughs> Television Champion. Which I, at the time I thought was the best thing in the world. Yeah. It, and I woke up this morning and for some reason from 1984, I'm like, I, I want to watch this. And, <laughs> and I, I got, I fell down the whirlpool of watching Gary Hart promos. Yeah. Having promos on Dusty Rhodes and everything else. And, and the thing is, that's what made me a fan. They, they, they spoke their minds. They, they cut these promos. There was a little bit of reality. It was, it was over the top. It was, it was offensive, but you couldn't stop watching. And McGregor's tapped into that, and you're yeah. not finding that in pro wrestling anywhere else. And for all of those promos, there was Sting tripping on his words and and getting ahead of himself, and Kevin Nash confusing verbs for adjectives, and uh, you know the the bad promos <clears throat> that happen all the time. But that's the learning curve. And then there's some guys who are just never any good at it. <clears throat> but when you strip all that away. Right. And, and you rob, you know, personalities um, or, or rob wrestlers of their personalities. What do you get? You get Randy Orton, right? Whose promos are never terrible, but they're never good either. Right. It's all about personalities. That's it. I mean, it's 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 a star power uh, driven business, all of it. And as much as WWE wants to remove itself, uh, not just from from wrestling, but from combat sports, um, you know, it's funny. I think my kid was just asking me yesterday something about the history of WWE. And I told them, well, before it was WWE, it was WWF. And before it was WWF, it was WWWF. And before that, it was Capital Sports. And they promoted boxing, right? So there is this yeah. lineage all the way back. Uh, and, and because for as much as it's changed, and, and granted, it's changed a whole lot, at its core, it is what you're selling is two guys with big personalities fighting, right? I mean, and they, they step into that ring together or that octagon or whatever it is, and they're going to slug it out. And the idea is make fans want to see that and pay to see that. Uh, and so really, as much as we might be thinking, you know, watching all the spectacle of, of Mayweather and McGregor this week and saying, well, that's got nothing to do with us. That's not um, what we do. Uh, they, I think they do know better, or at least they should know better. And uh, in, in Vince McMahon's case, he absolutely knows better, you know, because, uh, you know, Vince McMahon has promoted boxing before. Uh, so, so. Yeah, Sugar Ray Leonard versus right. Tommy Lalonde. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah back so. in 93, 91. I forget. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean. 89, maybe. He knows for as, as different as it is, there are a lot of similarities. And, and um, 
he certainly should not be thinking that there's nothing to be learned uh, from, from what we're seeing. So when we are back next time, uh, maybe we'll talk a little Mayweather or McGregor if, if there is more to talk about. And uh, we'll be talking about the PWI 500 as well. And uh, hopefully have uh, an interview with our number one ranked wrestler, Rusev, as he said. Uh, Rusev? Yes. <laughs> we're getting Rusev, yes. <laughs> Uh, until then, Dan, thanks so much. We'll be uh, back. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Yes. And right now, let's listen to the uh, technical advisor behind uh, GLOW and a former WWE, WCW, everywhere else, Lucha Underground uh, star, Chavo Guerrero. I, I grew up watching GLOW as a kid, so uh, I was right. definitely interested to hear it came back in some form. Um, and I know you're involved. What, what, again, is your involvement with the show? So my involvement with the show is um, I am the uh, fight coordinator, the wrestling fight coordinator, and uh, kind of morphed into more stuff to that, kind of, uh, you know, started reading scripts and kind of giving my, my – I'm the wrestling expert on the show, if you put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, and, and it's interesting because I remember talking to you about uh, Lucha Underground, and you had something of, of a similar role there too, right? I mean, you, had, you ended up with a, a kind of a production credit. So it, it, it right. sounds like your career is taking this – interesting transition that you don't see a lot where uh you, you take your years in wrestling and are now <laughs> putting them to use uh in hollywood so um what's that been like for you i mean again it's kind of an unexpected uh a path for, you, for your career to go but is it one that you're enjoying yeah you know what to be honest it was something that um you, you know in, in this business our as you know our family's kind of done a lot of this business in kind of all aspects we've had our own promotion and everything from, from set up the ring, you know, to take tickets to at the door, to sell popcorn, to wrestle, to have our own promotions. We've done everything. But what I think my family, what their um, fault was at times is that we love wrestling so much that they just thought, so on a small scale, they just thought wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. Well, now wrestling is such pop culture and is so worldwide that it's not just wrestling, you know, a la WWE anymore. You know, we can use our expertise in other aspects of wrestling, which which is, you know, kind of Hollywood. Michael Mondo dabbled in it a little bit and was a stuntman for a long time. Uh, but kind of, um, I think we missed the boat as far as in the wrestling expertise thing. So what I've learned is that, I didn't really know the whole time, but now I kind of realize it, is that we're very specialized because there's not very many people that know what we know about wrestling and about Hollywood together, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it kind of it just kind of happened, to be honest. Um, when I started, I kind of left wrestling and Lucha Underground called me and they originally wanted me to be just talent and then from talking to them and seeing where they were coming from I'm like, guys, you're going to need a wrestling expert there, you know, because you guys may be a wrestling, wrestling fans, but you can be a fan of wrestling, but there's, you, it, this is an art form. You have to be able to be in it to actually, um, you know, to, to just learn your expertise to it, basically. So when I started with Lucha Underground, you know, we had some of the best guys in the business, which were Mark Monette's guys, but they had never shot wrestling. So not only was I just doing wrestling, I was talking to the camera guys and telling them, you know, camera angles, how we shoot wrestling. I was talking to the sound guys. I was talking to the directors. Just, I was talking to the wardrobe, like, we, you know, we, we, you can't, it's like Hollywood guys, so they're creating these incredible wardrobes, but 
I'm like, that's not functional. He has to be able to wrestle in this thing and not in, in, do a scene. No, we're talking a whole match. Oh, okay, okay. So we kind of, after the first season, you know, these guys got it like crazy and they're they're awesome. But it was a, definitely a little learning curve. But, you know, it was cool to learn, give my expertise in it, which I guess, you know, I, I just have learned from being around the business for so long. Um, and then going to Glow kind of it was different, definitely. I let, yeah. told them, you know, definitely different because it's a TV show and we're doing scenes and not just a wrestling actual match, you know. So it's definitely different. But what's cool is that I gave them my wrestling expertise, but they gave me this TV expertise, you know? Yeah. So I basically went to the Harvard of, of television <laughs> on the set of Glow every day. Yeah, it was awesome. So so when you hear Glow, you hear uh, Netflix is, is doing, um, uh, you know, and it's not exactly a reboot, but I think wrestling purists, certainly um, I imagine folks from, from your family and, and their generation, Glow, uh, the original Glow series, from uh, the 80s had a certain connotation. Not the highest quality uh, wrestling, obviously. Um, sure. So when, when you hear this, were there any skepticism? Not exactly sure what it was going to be. And obviously it ended up being something different than anybody could have expected. But uh, what, what did, did the, those, uh, those letters, G-L-O-W, Gorge Plays of Wrestling, what was the connotation that, that it carried with you? Oh, well, when I heard it, and then I heard that, that Genji Cohen was the basically the creator of it i was like okay this is going to be incredible i don't care what the original glow was this is going to be something you know far above and beyond right away i knew it was going to be something great that i wanted definitely wanted to be a part of i mean like for sure and it was cool that my uncle mondo was the original trainer for the original glow show you know Mm -hmm. and and that show it was it was definitely cutting edge because you had a show dedicated a wrestling show dedicated to women. It never, it never had never been done before, and it, you know, it got a lot of backlash. Especially at the time, it was kind of, you know, women had their spot in wrestling, which is, you know, one match in a show maybe. Uh, but then this was a whole show about them, and you know, they did something right because it, it, it's lasted for so long. You know, it's lasted the the trial of time, and everybody remembers, you know, Glow from the '80s. You know, and then. Uh, working on this on this glow show, uh, the Netflix one, um, it was something I, I explained to the executive producers, and they they're smart. They knew. I basically said, look, we we have a built-in audience right off the the, the bat. We have a wrestling audience that's loyal mm-hmm. and true that will watch this show, but they will only watch it as long as we don't turn them off to it. So we still have to. And I get it. We're, we're creating a show. A TV show, I get it. But also, if we're turning off the wrestling fan, well, they're going to turn the, the station. And that's a, that's a huge audience that will be talking either really good about this or really bad about this. And that's something we need to hold true also if we can. So they you know, absolutely agreed, and they, they were 100% on board. So what was great is that a lot of times I got the scripts, or all the times I got the scripts before, I would read them, you know, give any of my, I you know, my insight to my whatever it was, you know, whether it be move terminology or, you know, uh, wording regarding wrestling. Uh, and they're all about, you know, either changing it or making it work to where it worked for the show, but also work for the wrestling fan. You know, it was, it was really great. It was really great to see that they were just like, Oh, no, sorry. No, they were like, Oh, okay. 
you know, they wanted to hold true to it, you know, and talking to another, there was another um, reporter that he was a huge wrestling fan from the eighties and, you know, glow and everybody. And he said, if he would have seen one move or one, um, basically reference to something that wasn't around in 1985 or he was changing the station. He goes, he goes that he was already saying that, like already coming in thinking that. And a couple of times in matches, he thought we were going to go somewhere where he's going to change the station, but we stayed true to that, that time period, that time era. And, uh, he was like, he was putting over like, wow, you, you got me. He's like, you got me. And as we can get those guys, I knew for, the show was going to be awesome, no matter what. I, th- I knew it was going to be a great show. But if we can keep those wrestling fans tuned in watching because everything was error correct, that's, you know, that was going to be a little tougher, but I think we did it. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. So, so that's kind of an added wrinkle, an added complication in, in your job is this is essentially a period piece, right? So, Absolutely. Um, uh, did, did, what, was it you bringing that to the table in terms of – because I imagine – folks who don't come from the wrestling background wouldn't even have thought about that. Moves that didn't exist 30 years ago um, and, and that kind of thing. Was, was it you bringing that to the table? It was both of, it was both of us. They, the, the producers absolutely wanted to keep it, you know, time period correct, time era correct. But, um, you know, it was me also. Like at one point in one of the matches they had, uh, they wanted the, um, one of the, you know, the actresses, not it was just written in the script to do a shooting star press. And I said, okay, first of yeah. all, that, w- that was not around in 1986. I go, but second of all, that's a very, very, very hard move to, to just, if a person is a gymnast, okay, great. But if it's just an actor to teach them, yeah, I'm not saying that they can't, because I can get them to do anything, but I go, this is, that's a very tough move. I mean, I don't want to go move, do that move, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And they were like, they were like, oh yeah, okay, great. What do you, what do you, uh, what do you suggest? So at first I suggested a moonsault. I go, that was there, that was around them. That was a very big move, though. So um, you know, I was like, you know, explain that my dad was kind of a, you know responsible for bringing that to the United States, mm-hmm. and they were like, oh, really? Okay, okay. Then um, I was like, okay, that's still kind of tough. And so we, I think we 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 settled on like a reverse cross body from the top rope, which is still very very hard move, especially back then. That was a big move. Especially when a finish back then was a, you know, was a lariat, <laughs> you know, it was a close yeah. or a power slam. That was a finish, you know, huge finish. Um, so, you know, the crossbody off the top, which for anybody is really, I mean, you get up to the top rope, and if you go the wrong way, you're falling, you know, 15 feet to the ground. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. So um, we kind of we agreed on that, and 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 I think it worked. So, did did it make it uh, easier for you or harder for you the fact that? Um, in, in terms of being authentic and sort of accurate to the original series, I imagine you didn't want these uh, women looking like they were uh, too good at this, right? I mean, the point is that they're supposed to look green, right? You know, they're, they're, sure. they're isn't supposed to look that perfect. Right, and, and, and that's something also that the, the executive producer wanted to. That, that's something they expressed to me. They were like, guys, they, they're not supposed to be very good, <laughs> you know? Yeah. We'll keep them good, but we need to... At one point, actually... After training the girls for you know five months, I mean five weeks or so, um, when we were getting ready to shoot the first episode, we had to tell them and go. Remember how? And this is the, the executive producers. This is their word. We want them to be like they were on the first day. 
We, yeah. so, so we would get in the ring and actually practice how they were in the first day. So the first day, they couldn't really, they didn't even know how to get in the rope, I mean, into the ring, through the bottom rope, through the second rope. But, you know, they, they didn't know how at all, to be honest. You know, by the fifth week, these girls are playing in the ring and they're, they're doing rolls and, you know, getting hit and falling out of the ring, all different stuff. And I said, okay, remember how you were the first day. Let's practice that. <laughs> yeah. Laying on the ropes and doing that wrong and stuff so that when we were able to do that in the, you know, the, the, the uh, first show, it was authentic. Like they didn't know what they were doing when they kind for, of did. For, <laughs> right. For, for safety's sake, I imagine you want, you know, you want them to, to know how to do it right. But Absolutely. then, I mean, it's kind of an interesting conundrum, but then almost deliberately do it a little bit wrong, right? Yeah. These are actors, they're actresses, and they're all very, very yeah. good actresses. But it's also the athleticism that you're throwing in out into that. And not all of them were other athletes. A lot of them, most of them weren't. They were, you know, mm-hmm. they did Shakespeare and they did plays and, you know, they did, you know, they roller skated when they were kids or played soccer, you know, when they were seven, but that's about it. Um, so, you know, they, we had to make sure that they were safe, but that they were, you know, that their act, that their acting came out in, that athleticism a little bit, you know, and and that's kind of where I I was able to step in a little bit and kind of show them and say, look, this is kind of what I do, you know. Sometimes I'm supposed yeah. to look good, but I'm not supposed to look good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was it was really it was, it was just a fun a fun set to be on all the time. It really really was. Did you sense that that some of uh, the women you worked with maybe didn't have a whole lot of appreciation for pro wrestling at the outset, but after working with you? Um, for some weeks, came away with more of an appreciate, appreciation of what you do. Absolutely. So, so not not that they didn't have an appreciation, they just didn't know anything about it. Everyone mm-hmm. was very respectful. Every every one of them was very respectful. Everyone was very, um, you know, they they wanted to learn and wanted to know about wrestling, you know. So, but they they just hadn't been around it at all. Um, so it was really cool to see how that evolved and how they how the respect for wrestling came about. I mean. I think at one time um, I saw an interview with Allison Bree, uh, and she was <laughs> Allison, you know, main their main star. Basically, said, you know, somebody they asked, "Oh, so is wrestling fake?" And she's like, "Oh, no, it's no. I mean, it could be entertainment, but fake is absolutely not. I mean, we're falling in there and we're right. bumping, and it was really cool to see them defend wrestling because every wrestling a wrestling fan and wrestlers we all we know, okay, it's entertainment, but there's nothing. The word "fake" is not correct. That's a wrong word. That's like saying, "Oh, stuntman, that oh that that fall he did from the from you know the skyscraper, that's fake because you know they rehearsed it." That's just the wrong word. But a non-wrestling fan is going to use that all the time and think, "Well, that's the right word." It's just not. Yes. Yeah. It was great to see the the actresses defend wrestling. You know, really was. Yeah, 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 that is. yeah. It's cool. You know, for a wrestling fan, yeah. you know, they get it. Wrestling fans get it it's an entertainment yeah. show it's a live action entertainment and you know they respect them they want them they want to um to honor it and not trash it you know so it was, it was cool yeah i mean it's always tricky as uh, a fan defend wrestling because people have these preconceived notions and if they hear you saying it's not fake. It almost reinforces the, the notion that they have, you know, that wrestling fans are, are idiots. Uh, but but the point isn't that we we don't know, you know, what it what it is. 
it's just that's not the right word to, to use for it. Right? I mean, and right? It, yeah. It is, there's, there's, uh, yeah. <clears throat> You're absolutely correct. You're absolutely, absolutely correct. There's one point, one part in in the show. Have you seen the whole show yet? No, I've seen some. Uh, what do they call it? Like the uh, highlight reel kind of you thing. You got to watch yeah. the show. It, you, you it, it looks it. fantastic. You got to watch the yeah. show. It's great. There's one point in the show, and I won't give it away, but one of the actresses on the in the show. Um, not that it doesn't really respect Weston, doesn't know anything really about it. And at one point in the show, she gets it. Oh my God, I get it. And that's kind of a lot of realization when wrestling fans first get it. You know, like, oh wait a minute, this is this is really cool. I like this. You know, and and I remember one in a quick story at my house one time. Um, one of our good friends, she's at the house, and uh, I've known her for you know 15, 20 years, and she's got a new husband. This is a, you know, a few years back, and and the husband goes, I, I wanna, can I can I watch one of your matches? I said, sure. So I put something on. I think, I think I was wrestling Chris Benoit at the time, and you know we were beating each other up in the ring, and he's like, he's looking at the at the at the, the show at the, at the at the TV, and he's looking at me, he's looking back and forth, and finally after a minute he goes, wait a minute, I thought wrestling was fake. And I said, why do you what? And he goes. You guys are beating the crap out of each other in there. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. he's like, well, and then all of a sudden I get a call like three weeks later from my friend, and she's like, hey, thanks a lot. And what do you? And what do you mean? He goes, well, every Thursday we're watching SmackDown, and every Friday or every Monday we're watching we're watching Raw. Thanks a lot. That's great. You know what I mean? Because he got it right at that point. Kind of. <clears> and this is like this is like you know was a 55 year old guy who's never watched wrestling, yeah. and all of a sudden was like, like I get it, you know, and became friends. Yeah, is it you know it, it's interesting talking to you in, in, in this role as kind of uh, you've become sort of the the elder statement statesman of the the Guerrero clan. When um, you know, I remember watching twenty years ago when you were like the kid, right? I mean, you were the junior right. member of, of the whole bunch. Is is that a? And I'm still the kid. I'm still around. When I get around the family. I'm still the kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but is that uh, was there a moment where you sort of realized that like oh wow I'm, I'm the guy now I'm the one sort of carrying this forward and now there's even a whole new generation right um, um, the, yeah the, the next generation of Guerrero so well, what's that been like for you you know what it was brought to my attention by my dad before he passed because I said look yeah. you know, you're the man now and you I'm kind of, thank you and I'm kind of like I'm not the man because these guys know so much more than I know. You know, mm-hmm. my dad, he'd joke about it a lot of times, you know, he's, you know, especially when we were younger, he'd say, yeah, you know, I've, I've forgotten more wrestling than you guys would ever know. <laughs> and, but eventually, you know, now he's come when, you know, you get the respect of your peers and of your family who's been in this business forever. It's kind of, it was kind of cool. And, and, you know, for my dad telling me, Hey, you're, you're the man or my uncle Mondo telling me, this is you now, it's your time to shine. And I'm like, gosh, hey, you guys know so much more than I do, you know? So, yeah. It's 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 like it was, it was cool to hear. It just makes just validates you a little bit. And it's, it's yeah. nice. Did did you tap your your uh, uncle for any um, advice with um, Glow? Seeing as how you mentioned he he worked on the original series. Absolutely. I've, any any time that was one. I guess maybe of my selling point to the um, to the executive producers when they interviewed me for this job. They didn't just give it to me. I got interviewed along with a lot with other maybe eight other people. Um, did they know that he but, uh, he worked on original series? They did, but they okay. always wanted to interview me and make sure I wasn't this prima donna guy that thought he knew everything and that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, basically, basically, when I talked to them, I said, um, when I got interviewed, I said, look, 
everybody in in Hollywood, and I would say this, is 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 a, a BSer. You know, they're gonna tell you they know stuff when they don't know stuff. So they're gonna, you know, they're gonna, uh, oh yeah, I can do this. Everybody can, is, is, yes, oh, I can do this. I can do that. But not many people can actually do that. And I said, that's not me. If I don't know it. I'm going to tell you I don't know it, but I'll, I know somebody who knows it. <laughs> I can mm-hmm. guarantee you I can find out exactly correctly in, in a phone call what, uh, uh, what the correct, you know, their answer or, you know, the, the answer to your question will be. So, but I'm not going to tell it. I'm not going to tell them that I know this when I don't know it. I'm not going to BS them. So they were like, yeah. oh, we appreciate that because a lot of times you don't get that. A lot of times you get somebody saying, oh, yeah, I just figured this out. No problem. Uh, for instance, we we, it, we had a stunt girl come on um, one time, and we just just in case for one of any any movie saw on the show, on the show, all of these actors were able to do it, all of them. But mm-hmm. for repetition, sometimes we wanted to bring in a stunt girl just so that the, the actors didn't have to do this a bunch of times, especially if we're right. shooting from a far angle. So we this idea that we had to do, um, and we brought in a, a a bigger stunt girl for this. For the, for the actresses, and she basically said, oh, yeah, I know how to do all that stuff, and she got on. She did not do any of it. So we, I was going to have to teach her also, and so we're like, mm, maybe, maybe we won't do that move, you know? Mm-hmm. So so it was something that I didn't want to, we didn't want to have to maybe have the stunt girls be able to do it. If that's the case, we would just have the actress that maybe could do it and maybe not do it. Uh, so, you know, that, that's something that I didn't want to how I didn't want to be that that person that that yes guy that couldn't deliver. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, that's interesting. I mean, found the right guy. Um, you mentioned at the beginning, and 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 that you'd admit that I didn't ask you, but uh, I always love talking to pro wrestling pro, pro wrestlers about their experience with pro wrestling magazines, pro wrestling illustrated, and, and we're in the middle of putting together the latest PWI 500 uh, now. Uh, when when you know in, in the prime of of your uh, wrestling days. How much was this on your guys' radar? You know, the the 500 uh, uh, throughout what your your ranking was. Was it something that people talked about? Was there any bitterness about where you ended up? You want me to be truthful on this? <laughs> yeah. No. And if the answer is okay. no, that's great. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, I'll be thinking. This is this is 100 true. Back in the day, you know, when when you we check that out, yeah, it eventually sometimes you'd look at it and see where you were ranked here and there. But then at the same time, you knew who were ranking you. You knew whether it was a magazine mm-hmm. ranking you as opposed to your um, your peers a lot of times. So sometimes we would look at the top 10 and go, and kind of sometimes start laughing going, this dude's a top 10 wrestler, and this guy's, <laughs> ra- and this guy's ranked 226. I'm going, really? I think at one time, maybe my second or third year, I got ranked, I don't know, 17 or something like that. But then... As I got better, I got ranked worse. <laughs> We're <starting laughs> asking, like going, wait a minute here. So, kind of that's kind of what how we would look at it at times, you know. Uh, but at the same time, you know, growing up as as a kid, you know, I was friends with Bill After and George Napolitano, and and remember, you know, reading of my dad, the Million Dollar Rookie in, in Pro Wrestling Illustrated. That was the oh, magazine. Man. You know, when 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 magazines, you know, had more clout. You know, before the internet and stuff, that's where you found, you know, you didn't have cable, you didn't have that kind of stuff. The Pro Wrestling Illustrators were where you watched, you learned about other promotions and stuff and all that stuff. You know, so yeah, I watched all the time. I, I always read 
Carlos Illustrated. You know, that was that was a magazine. Yeah, yeah, and I imagine for for your dad's generation, uh, like you said, it, it was really valuable. I mean, I remember, I've heard from wrestlers who, who talked about the the importance in in your bottom line, in your in your paycheck from getting featured well um, in the magazines. So uh, I yeah. still to this day have some of the pro wrestling illustrated from 1977 and 1978 with my dad in the magazine. I still to yeah. this day have those the mil- the million dollar uh, rookie uh, stories. I have those. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, Chuck, well, thank you so much. I mean, you definitely made me want to go check this out. I've got my Netflix account, so when I get off the phone with you, maybe I'll, I'll put in the first episode, and then I'm sure I'll be... Uh, Please watch it. Please watch it. And and every every episode gets better and better and starts character building. And I've said this before, by the, by the end of the show, you're going to fall in love with these girls, just like yeah. I have. You're going you're gonna to yeah. fall in love with them. It's just like... It, it just it just really it's just holding really true to wrestling, you know. And, and what's really cool in, in, in a lot of the dialogue you'll have some of the actresses say stuff that we're all used to as being a wrestling fan, you know, uh, talking about, you know, like, for instance, you know, somebody's derogatory asking me if it's fake. I'm like, oh, yeah, you want to see how fake it is? Just try me, you know, that oh, kind yeah. of stuff. You'll <laughs> see that kind of stuff in that's written into the storyline, <clears throat> and, and that kind of stuff. It's really cool. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's great. And then at the point when that when a certain actress, I won't ruin it, gets it, you're going to go, okay. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great. No, I mean, yeah, I think you're a, gr- a great ambassador for it, a great uh, salesman for it. So uh, you're definitely bringing some credibility to it. So uh, I will check it out. Thank you so much, Chavo. Hope we can do this again. I uh, hope so too. Thanks a lot, man. Good luck to you. Okay. Yeah.